0: This is Bird Road. Jewish Dave is not here today. I, in the meantime, am being marginalized. I'm being silenced, (laughs) (laughs) deplatformed. I've been kicked out of the All Points West studios. I'm in my wife's closet because we've got contractors here. And uh, for longtime listeners of the show, you've heard way worse than this in the past. I don't pity you at all. Some quick housekeeping before we get to our guest. March 15th show, it's going to be at Gramps in Wynwood. We're working on our guest list, but we have a strong probably slash maybe from Philip Agnew from Dream Defenders. He's probably gonna be there most likely unless the Bernie Sanders campaign sends him somewhere else. So we're also gonna have a few other folks that we announce in the coming days. Keep an eye out for that. Canvassing in Miami, really important, especially with this topic that we're about to talk about today. You might think it's scary, it's not. I'm gonna be doing it this Saturday. Come out with me, come with the Miami DSA. Shout out to uh, Las Vegas DSA, by the way, also. I, I sound like I'm like doing a DSA promo right now, but <laughs> honestly, I want to give a shout out to the folks in Las Vegas for hosting me, hosting Bird Road. We went out knocking on doors all around Las Vegas, and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Without any further ado, I want to introduce our guest, jump into our topic for the week. This has likely been the most Miami week of the primaries so far this, this year. Yes, Miami is at the center of the political universe right now and so to help us understand and interpret everything that's going on to help us speak Miami we actually have our own Miami boy uh you know him from appearances on the Young Turks you know him from Fusion you know him from Univision and uh again he's just sort of an, an all-around original Magic City guy Nando Vila, welcome to Bird Road hey thanks for having me so what are you doing right now what are you up to
1: uh well, um, I'm here in L.A. Um, getting ready for Super Tuesday. Um, I'm actually going. I'm I'm doing some canvassing this week in Spanish-speaking areas of L.A., which should be fun and exciting. Um, Super Tuesday. Um, I'm actually doing this uh, big watch party with a girl named Namiki Konst, who you may know from her activism in the, you know, on all the DNC rules committee, like, uh, I feel like all the work that she's done in the last, I mean, four years ago after the, after the 2016 primary to really change the rules of the way the DNC, uh, picks the candidate. Like if we look, you know, back 30 years from now and we live in a better world than the one we live in now, uh, a huge reason will be that obscure little fight, um, that happened after the 2016 primary, because it really, um, it really took away the power of all the super delegates. So it's exciting to be to be with her. Uh, we're doing a big live show in LA um, to do a sort of a watch party with all, as all the results from Super Tuesday come in. Um, so yeah, getting ready to get all politics out here.
0: <laughs> so um, look, before we get into it, I want to go over how you and I met online. You and I are part mm-hmm. of this like tiny, culturally influential group of folks and that group is people who have seen the amazon original series the patriot oh yeah <laughs> so i take notice whenever anybody yeah. mentions that show online before we jump into miami and the brain melting bullshit that we're gonna have to talk about let's talk about something that's kind of fun and nice just for like a minute how did you get into Stephen conrad's the patriot by the way Friend of the show, Stephen Conrad. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's
1: that's, that's impressive. Um, actually, a, a buddy of mine uh, from Miami, he was like, um, you know, he, he was so insistent upon it. He's like, you got to watch this show. You got to watch this show. And I was like, yeah, you yeah, know, man, I got I got a lot of shows, dude. I've been watching a lot of shows. You know, like everyone everyone wants to get me to watch their show. It's too um, much. So much. It's too much, you know. And uh you know, we all, we all got limited time and it's a big it's a big commitment when you get into a show. You know, it's not just watching a movie for a couple hours. You got to you know, it's the next two weeks of your life for taking over. Um, so I finally I finally watched it and I absolutely loved it because it's just the strangest. Most unique form of comedy i've seen on mainstream television in a very very long time it's just it's it's this very small story about a um like a botched cia operation in uh in europe um but um but in in luxembourg yeah right luxembourg Mo- most yeah. of the european parts happen in
0: luxembourg and i think the rest is in indiana and like yeah, Northern Virginia, at, DC area, at a, at a piping right.
1: company, um, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was great. I mean, it, it was just it, it really also probably captured the real truth of how the CIA operates, rather than you know yeah, like if you look right. at uh, something like um, the the John Krasinski show Jack uh, Ryan. on uh, the was it Jack Ryan on on Amazon, which is like a you know obviously like every CIA agent is like this like super competent uh, patriot type person where in reality they're probably just kind of bumbling middle management type guys um just like the rest of us so it's 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 very fun it's very um unique it's very strange it's a very bizarre um show the the main character is like completely depressed and um can kind of barely get through the day um but um but yeah i would i would recommend everyone to watch it john
0: lakeman or
1: john tavner
0: depending on which character he's playing in the moment. Incredible show. Yeah. If you're a fan of Bird Road Podcast, you've heard us talk about this show a few times before. Did you get a chance to watch the recommendation that I made for you, Perpetual Grace LTD? Uh, I, and it's pretty unaccessible. I mean, I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't no, seen it. No,
1: I, I, I did watch it. Um, <laughs> and it's it's also great. I mean, the Ben Kingsley uh, is great in it uh, as like this kind of menacing uh, southern religious man um which is like not something that you would expect ben kingsley to be um and it's yeah it's it's just as good i mean i i i like the world of the patriot more in the sense because it's just anything like spies in western europe you know gets me all horned up um but perpetual grace is also great
0: yeah it's just this really weird time that we're living in when there's this obscure channel called epics that has this obscure television show called perpetual grace ltd that also by the way has like ben kingsley as the star and no one's heard of it
1: yeah and no one's ever heard of it you know no no one's ever heard of it yeah
0: so let's Um, jump in the reason that you're here i didn't ask you on to talk about stephen conrad's biography and his uh (laughs) filmography rather we're going to talk about one of the more disheartening and brain-rending Storylines that's been going on during the course of the the primary season that's just kind of broken over the last 48 hours. And um, I figured maybe I'll do a little reset for those who maybe have been asleep for the last 48 hours and don't know what's going on. On Sunday night, the Democratic frontrunner, Bernie Sanders, sat down with Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes for this in-depth interview that really only ended up kind of being 10 seconds long because the clip that dominated all of social media and the media cycle was basically Bernie Sanders pointing out that post-revolutionary Cuba has, that Fidel Castro had introduced these literacy programs and basically just asked this rhetorical question to Anderson Cooper, is this a bad thing, right? Can a person who is bad only do bad things? And that resulted in a uh, Miami media and political elite freak out. Once again, we fell into the stupidest trap possible, which is any storyline that centers Florida, The state of our country that if our country was a special needs class, it would be the one kid that doesn't have disabilities, but just likes to light shit on fire. (laughs) Miami-Dade and state officials obviously are very eager to just kind of pile on and just shit all over the senator. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me yesterday just like reaming out a bunch of people who I've donated 100, 200 300 bucks to over the course of the last few years. I'm not like some big bundler or anything like that, but I do, I mean, I do support Democrats down here, but they were basically doing the Republicans jobs for them. Did, did you see a lot of this stuff? I'm sure you were paying attention. Yeah.
1: I mean, even Andrew Gillum, you know, who, you know, Bernie was one of, I think one of the only major national political figures to endorse him. And um, when in his race, um, Slapped back at Bernie over this whole Castro thing. I mean, that was incredibly disappointing. Um, yeah, it's it's di- disappointing, but also it was to be expected, right? I mean, we have very low expectations for the Florida <laughs> for Florida Democrats, you know. Um,
0: and you say and Florida it, Democrats, but I I mean, like literally, the Florida Democrat Party came out with a statement basically denouncing the national frontrunner for the party for the presidential nomination. The party itself, yeah. our state party, which, to be fair, is one of the worst parties in the <laughs> entire nation.
1: Well, it, it speaks to a an asymmetry that we have in our politics, which is that it's literally unimaginable to uh, think of the Republican Party doing the same. I mean, think never, about like how never. long it took for the Republican Party establishment to disown someone like Roy Moore, a actual. Um, child molester in Alabama right (laughs) like they stuck by their guy until it was well yeah until he lost basically impossible to um
0: if he would have won yeah they would have been fine with him oh they would love him they'd say that he was unfairly persecuted by the liberal establishment or whatever
1: yeah exactly like but um yeah but it, it you know the the Democrats do this this completely opposite thing in which the Democrats hate their base i mean they (laughs) really do like they really hate their base and they fear their base um whereas the republicans don't the republicans sort of fetishize their base you know they that's why you see like mitch mcconnell having to like go out on stage holding a giant gun even though no one believes mitch mcconnell has ever shot a gun in his life um he has to sort of cosplay as the sort of swashbuckling kentucky republican that he's absolutely not he's a sort of rich asshole, right um so the, it, it, the Democrats don't do that at all. They don't they they, they actually sort of um, they do the opposite. They browbeat their base, they tell them to get in line, they um, you know, they
0: wait their turn. yeah, be realistic, yeah. stop pushing for things that are you know impossible. I saw one of the people that jumped onto the never Bernie bandwagon was my own congresswoman. Donna Shalala, who's like a 108-year-old freshman congressperson, (laughs) former president of the University of Miami. And when you think about the kind of shit that a lot of these people have aligned themselves with in the past, a lot of the people, a lot of the establishment, a lot of the monsters that these people have made their careers next to, and then you just pander and just kind of shoot themselves and their own party in the foot. Man, I don't know. Well, I
1: mean, I I think it speaks to the... Pervasiveness and the deep, deeply embedded nature of ideology. Right. I mean, we, you know, these people like to think of themselves as non-ideological, um, and they probably aren't self-consciously so. Like, they probably don't think of themselves as ideologue. Um They think of themselves as just kind of like political players and pragmatists and stuff. But what they don't see is that the ideology is deeply embedded within them. Um, so it's it's literally unimaginable for them a Bernie Sanders presidency. Like they they can look at data and and it won't. It won't move them because it is it is so beyond the the realm of their imagination um, that it that it that they just can't they do they can't bring they can't come to terms with it. So it's causing all kinds of all kinds of freakouts in in many hilarious ways. Um, but this latest one about the Castro thing, I mean, it was depressing, especially for us. I mean, I think for bo- I think most of the country kind of shrugged, right? I mean, but you and I were both from uh, you know we're both from Miami, and uh, it's just it's just a depressing thing because. It speaks to I mean, I think after Obama normalized relations with Cuba and nothing really happened, you know, like there was no uh, you know, there was no armed uprising in uh Galleocho, you know. <laughs> um, I think we thought, like, okay, maybe things are changing, you know, maybe things like uh maybe this sort of ideological hegemony that has dominated Miami every aspect of Miami's political and social life for the last fifty or sixty years. Um can be changing. And this was just a reminder that it has not.
0: It's a lot like if you go to like, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner or something, and you go with your mom and she says something horrible (laughs) and racist about like your cousin's black boyfriend or something. And everybody just kind of shakes their head and is like, Oh, thank God we don't have to deal with her every day. And then they leave and you don't see each other until next next Thanksgiving, but you're (laughs) still stuck with her every day. And she's a fucking nightmare. That's kind of like what it's like to be involved in politics. Yeah. If you
1: have to live in Miami and you're sort of of a more progressive. Yeah, and, and I just want to say for the record, my mom is a lovely woman. She would never be say anything racist about anyone. Oh no, but, of course, uh,
0: but, uh, uh, not to impugn anyone's mom. Everyone's <laughs> mom is great, of course. There was uh, no, it's the completely uncle. Hypothetical. The uncle's
1: always the racist one. It's the the mom, moms yeah, it's always the, always the uncle. Racist. Come on, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like you know when we were growing up it, it really was Ca- castro like dominated everything right um but he's sort of been replaced uh, lately with venezuela um Evo morales lula i mean because of the influx of all the of all the uh, the rest of the latin american oligarchs after the pink tide um in the early 2000s uh in flooded miami especially the, the neighborhood where i grew up. i grew up on key Biscayne so i i know these people very very well um and it's kind of almost expanded that um, that total hegemony, you know, that, that sort of reflexive fear of anything that is left of total neocon uh, frothing at the mouth uh, militarism um, in in all in every in every aspect of uh, foreign policy in Latin America. So, yeah, I mean. Um,
0: well, what I think is funny, and I think you might agree with me, is that like somehow in the id, in the decision making apparatus, or that basic rat brain, the survival parts in that section of the DNC's brain, there's still this this muscle memory that the Miami Cuban hardcore Republican coalition block is solid. But I mean, you know people, I know people. But those politics Mm -hmm. were not generational. For the most part, they didn't pass them down. Most of the Cubans that I know under the age of 50 are mostly voting Democrat. I mean, I guess, like, why can't we get past that traditional knowledge? It's so weird, this this belief system we have. A lot of the older folks now, like, their kids, (laughs) their kids don't even, like, their kids fill out their ballot for them.
1: No, I, I agree. I mean, especially most sort of, quote unquote, regular people. I think that there is still a lot of, um, even some of the younger, quote unquote, professional pol- uh, people in politics still kind of fall into that. I mean, I, I don't know. I saw I saw Fernando Mandy, a guy who I've worked with in the past and know quite well, like say like, oh, this is, you know, this is disqualifying. Like Bernie's obviously going to lose Florida now um, because of these comments.
0: Yeah, I wasted like half my morning arguing with Fernand <laughs> well, yesterday. There you go. So um
1: and he's a good guy. Like he's you know, I I I've i nothing but good things to say about him. But yeah, I mean he 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 also sort of falls into this this almost like zombie politics that um that feels like everything is uh Elian Gonzalez all over again or whatever. Like that that we never have gotten past any of that stuff. Um So, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that if you look at if you just pull people on the street, more or less, they'll be like, yeah, they probably have like a vague kind of um, they they have they have like a vague kind of anti-Castro sentiment, but they don't really care about it. Um, And if you ask them to like explain why he's bad, they'll 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 say vague things, but they can't they couldn't point to anything specific. Um, And and they frankly just have other concerns that are more important. Um, But you still see a lot of the professional apparatus is still kind of like that, even even the younger ones. Well, I wanted
0: to talk to you about that uniqueness of Miami, and I I was trying to come up with examples of (laughs) what Miami's like, and there's really nothing. I would say, like, maybe the closest thing that I could come up with was, like, Orange County. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, places that are generally sort of socially liberal, but, but when you get to anything economic or anything that touches people's wallets or foreign policy or anything like that, Anything that's like dollars and cents, right? Uh, it it sort of just veers hard to the right, and it's this weird dichotomy. It's sort of like bourgeois, but at the same time, we also have like a huge amount of poor people here, and they don't have much of a political voice. They're marginalized. I mean, obviously, you've lived here, you've lived out west. Do you have any other analogs? I mean. Have you ever lived anywhere well, like this?
1: The only other place that I think has a um, somewhat similar dynamic in that it's it's local politics its local politics are dominated by a political issue not in the, within the United States is when I lived in Boston and you know the IRA stuff like the sort of Irish diaspora there is you know, cares a lot about that issue and, like, it really, like, enforces uh, a, a sort of uh, orthodoxy amongst its politicians on a line it takes on Ireland. Um, but obviously, it doesn't... Well, a deflate gate, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but um, it doesn't track in the same way as Miami. I think we, in, in, in the broader sense, like Orange County... I mean, Orange County is similar to Miami in that there's a lot of these kind of... Um, petty bourgeois tyrants, <laughs> you know, a lot of car dealerships, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of boat dealerships, Those guys a lot are of are like, I made it on my people.
0: own. I became this big success yeah. on my own without any, um, you know, help from the state or anything like that. And for that reason, nobody else should right. get any help. Exactly.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, Miami, I think Miami is totally unique in the United States. I think there is no, there is no real analog because I think that the, a, a city whose local politics are so dominated by a political issue that is not within the borders of the United States is, it it colors everything. I mean, and now it's just, like I said, it's broadened out from just um, anti-communism in Cuba. It's sort of broadly anti-left within all of Latin America. I mean, that, think about like how much, how much of a presence Chavez was in the mouth of people's, uh, in people's mouths in Miami throughout the 2000s. I mean, it was like, it was it was it was totalizing. And there's just no analog to that anywhere else in the United States. Miami is
0: like this place where like and they're far enough, you bring up the Venezuelans, right? And they're they're still pretty close to what happened in their diaspora. but but the Cuban gentry is far enough removed that even if you ask them, they still sort of express this disembodied hatred for Castro and the Castro regime and. But they're far enough away, you know, they'll say they're exiles, but really they're pretty American. I mean, in what America is, I mean, they are a paragon of that. They are exactly what America is. They are exactly the way that you would define American. They they came to a new place. They pillaged the area, took all the resources, <laughs> assumed power, kick out the people that were here prior to them. They're as American as anyone. I mean, I don't know. It's just funny to me because... Miami is this place where I try to explain to people, like, for instance, last week when I was in Vegas, it, it you know, yeah. Vegas is so nice. It's becoming this, like, progressive, yeah. fun, nice city. And they're like, oh, well, Miami's kind of the same way, right? And I'm like, Uh, not exactly. Miami's this place where, like, a typical Saturday night is, I don't know, going out to, like, a gala at the Arsh Center for, like, $1,000 a plate for, I don't know fucking research into gout research or something like that and your wife's in a 2000 dress you take like separate uber xls from your mansion in coral gables where your mansion in coral gables is like the roof is falling apart and you make like eight hundred fifty thousand dollars a year because you're like the only guy at citibank that knows how to speak spanish or something (laughs) it's like i don't know man it's just this like weird place
1: well you point to vegas and and vegas is interesting because like I, i Ever since I left Miami um, now four years ago, I left in the beginning of 2016, um, seeing it from a distance, what I see is Miami becoming Vegasified, you know, Um, and one of the reasons why Vegas is the way you perceived it as like this sort of burgeoning progressive place is because of the sort of militancy of their labor movement, you know, notwithstanding the latest flap uh, with the whole culinary workers leadership union and, and its sort of attacks on bernie right before the caucus um the the fact is that the a lot of these culinary workers uh, service workers in the casinos on the strip you know have been highly organized and increasingly militant and i think that that has bred uh, that has had spillover effects so that's a great that's a really good my thing with miami is like we need to organize the bottle girls that live we need to organize hell yeah we need to organize union yeah, yeah they need a union um and and then we, and then we'll see Miami start to change. Once we get, if we make the bottle girls that live like the sort of vanguard of a Marxist Leninist revolutionary movement, I think we can. I think we can have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we we could have some real progress. But, I mean,
0: <laughs> that's dead on. I mean, there's a history of labor there in Las Vegas that that for all the similar contours
1: that Miami has to Las Vegas, we don't have that. We don't have that at all in Miami like the the like you said there is this um, there's a ton of poor people i mean i think like the, a lot of the um, structural issues are there for a politicized movement you know housing costs are through the roof when compared to wages i mean that's just like a recipe for um, political like firestorm but miami has become so depoliticized um uh, or has always been so depoliticized, really, because people, I think, assume that the city is so corrupt that local politicians like, will never do anything for them. Um, and and rightfully so. And that's a recipe for apathy. And they have this specter. I mean, I, I keep going back to it, but they have this sort of this sort of uh, specter above them, which is this um, this anti-communist thing, which has been, To to be fair, uh, a huge source of power for the Cuban elite in Miami for decades. I mean, there's a reason why it's a rallying cry. It's a rallying cry, but not not just that, but because it fit into the um, United States' broader imperial aims. It has been a sort of mutually beneficial arrangement from you know between power uh, powerful elites in Miami and um, the sort of decision makers in Washington, right? Because they see Miami. sort of miami ruling elite as a useful tool in the broader imperial aims they then reward them with more more power and influence in washington it's just like a virtuous cycle that goes back and forth well you know there's a reason why cubans punch above way above their weight uh, uh, politically in washington compared to say like Mexican Americans, which are a much larger uh, population in the United States. But like, but that's, that's, that's the, that's always been such a dominant specter over Miami politics. But yeah, I mean, maybe we can do, maybe Miami DSA can, can organize some of these, some of these places and, and, and start a little revolution. I would
0: say, yeah, that's a good idea. And you know what? That's funny that you say that because one of the things that in Las Vegas DSA and maybe not Las Vegas DSA, because I think there's been some like actually some rancor about this issue out there but in vegas one of the core groups that have that sort of ascendant is organized Mm. sex workers which has happened you know throughout a lot of the places in the country yeah and again it's this story of people who are more marginalized you know people who are occupying those roles tend to be like more preyed upon not just by law enforcement but not in positions to Organized, organized can sometimes not be feasible. That's like the one microcosm I think that shows your point, right? That Miami has these really unique challenges where some of them are language, some of them are cultural, some of mm. them are like the transient nature of our city. But I will say that we're talking shit about Miami. Did you ever see the movie Last Black Man in San Francisco? No, I didn't see it. So there's a scene where Jimmy Fails, the actor, He's basically playing himself in this movie. He's on a bus and there are these two white girls talking shit about San Francisco and how much they hate it. And he has a line. And I'll always apply this line to Miami if you've lived here, if you're from here. He says, do you love it? (laughs) If you don't love it, you don't get to hate it. And that's that's the way that I feel about Miami. Is if you don't love it, oh, you don't I, get to hate I, it. I
1: got a lot of love for Miami. Don't get me wrong. And I get, I cannot stand when I go to New York <laughs> and I get these like snobby New Yorkers like talking shit about Miami. Yeah, I was like shitting on I'm it. Like fuck, fuck you. you, you know, you guys all suck. Yep. You guys like all like all kind of hate each other and yeah i know it's and you guys don't know how to have fun and you know miami does have a lot a lot of things going for it and i got a lot of love for it like so you know i i do i i mean i i i criticize because i love it so much i I want the best for it i want the best for my fellow miamians so um with that
0: i want to sort of transition a little bit and talk about first like what bernie actually said that were these the, 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 this, which is a useful thing. thing it's a useful
1: just, thing to do right look at his actual words right. you know like right. you would think the uh, a, a real journalist would actually just look at his words and see what he actually said yeah literally fucking anybody might just
0: like i don't know look at what he actually said but there wasn't really a lot of that going on yesterday um so here's what he actually said the quote begins from i think like 1980 on public access television with him saying uh, <laughs> he educated their kids he being castro um, gave them healthcare, totally transformed the society, you know, uh, and then cuts to modern Bernie um, in that sort of very, uh, you know, trendy style that 60 Minutes employs of, um, you know, past, <laughs> past and, and present jump cuts. Uh, what, you know, 60 Minutes is known for just being really, really engage- engaging with their editing style. He um, says, we're, we're opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba, but, you know, it's unfair to simply say that everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? Anderson Cooper replies, a lot of dissidents were imprisoned in Cuba, and Bernie sort of cuts them off and says, that's right, and we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want to. I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a good friend of mine. And that was the clip that (laughs) I'm trying to find in there. Being sensitive to the thousands of Cuban people that I know and that are in my family, trying to find the the, the part that was actually wrong, that was incorrect.
1: No, yeah, lost in this whole hoopla is that Bernie was one hundred percent correct in his take on Cuba. Right? He is. It's not. He isn't like a, um, you know, a a dorm room revolutionary saying, you know, like, venceremos and, like, everything, you know, Castro did is beautiful and correct and he isn't a Cold War reactionary that thinks Castro is the devil incarnate and should be murdered, right? Like, that's just, it's a correct, it's a correct nuanced take. Um, He condemned the authoritarian nature of uh, Castro's regimes. Um, He condemned the jailing of political prisoners. Um, But he said that Cuba does have some genuine accomplishments that are um, should be lauded. Like in any in any fair reading of that, I mean, like Cuba is a poor island nation. I mean, what was Cuba before? You know, in, in the early twentieth century, it was this this sort of haven of uh, political corruption of U- U.S. capitalists um, using it as a sort of private tourist aisle. Um, yeah, organized and, crime. And, and organized crime. Like anyone who's seen the Godfather two. Knows this basic reality, right? Um, and and if you look at other poor island nations in the Caribbean, I mean, the, the, like that that the U.S. sort of is nominally allied to, like Haiti or Puerto Rico, a current colony of the United States. I mean, there's all manner of death, destruction, poverty, um, things like that. That that you know, Cuba for the most part has gotten past, right? Like, I mean, Cuba has. And give, provides healthcare to all its citizens and basic ed- basic levels of education, something that that is a genuine achievement in in a, in a poor island nation. Um, so it's and, and, and by the way, doing it while um, under constant attack from the most powerful country in the history of the world, right? And um, not just economically through the embargo, but actual invasion, actual assassination attempts, you know, actual violent campaigns. So. It's it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to say that what he said was anything other than a nuanced take um, that is devoid of the absurd reductionism that Americans have to fit everything in foreign policy into, which is, is this person good or bad, you know? And that's the only two categories that are available to you. Oh, and by the way, a lot of the bad people that we kind of know are bad, but they're our friends, we don't really just, we just don't talk about them, you know? We can only talk about our official enemies. So it, it, you know what it reminded me a lot of? It reminded me a lot of the discourse after the Soleimani assassination um, uh, earlier in the year, in which people were like, but, what, what, "But was Soleimani a bad guy?" And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. Like, what? What are? What, who are we to say like? this Iranian general is good or bad. I mean, like w- the whole thing is that we don't have the right to just go in and assassinate him. And if you just, if you start like looking into whether he's good or bad, and then you come to the conclusion that he's bad, but then your other conclusion is like, oh, we shouldn't do anything. Then, so then what's the point? Like this, this, this constant need to decide whether a person is evil or monstrous sort of conflicts with the, um, the, the upshot of, you know, reducing American violence abroad. Right? Because if a person is evil or monstrous and we do nothing about them, then then who are we? We're just aiding and abetting an, an, a monstrous person. Right? Um, so that's why like, I, I resist this urge to just be, to like decide whether some foreign person is good or bad. You know, in that absurd reductive um, analysis that Americans sort of constantly have to do.
0: Well, it's like this residual like Monroe Doctrine, right? That yeah. we have. Where it's like, even if We sit down and we make a pro con list about every single leader around the world and some like some net out positive, some negative. What fucking right do we have to act on it? I mean, great. It it goes back to this thing where like I don't understand. I get why when Barack Obama steps into the White House for the first time on January 20th of 2008 or whatever or 2009 he had to adopt a certain posture and talk. To I don't know if Bernie Sanders will be that way assuming he's president as much as him, but we had a whole episode last week about how the office of the presidency is sort of intrinsically corrupting and like, it's really mm-hmm. to not be consumed by it. But I understand that. But right now is the time that we can actually talk about these things and kind of be honest about them, right? and say, okay, well one of our candidates is saying here, look, there's this, uh, there, there's this hypocrit- hypocritical part of the way that we believe. There's this way that we don't talk about, you know, our incursions in the global South, and particularly like in Latin America, the way that we, you know, 56 times, 56 times over the last 50 years that we've had military interventions throughout Latin America. But we have, I'm talking about we being Democrats or we just being ostensibly on the left, right? Like we, even now, when it's like the perfect time to talk about these things, we can't
1: fucking talk about them. Oh by the way, Obama said the exact same thing Bernie said about Castro. It's literally the exact same thing. It's like <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's all his fault. <laughs> Okay, like, and if we're gonna like talk about Obama, like, this is where these kind of things have actual consequence, right? Um, in two thousand nine, the Obama administration and the Hillary Clinton led State Department supported the military coup in Honduras, right? That deposed Manuel Zelaya, the sort of left wing, uh, president that was democratically elected. Um, there and was replaced by a right-wing president. Um, And that administration continues on. It's a different guy now, but it's the same kind of basic administration. Staunch U.S. allies um, have created a massive social crisis in Honduras. There is a return of death squads. um, And there is, um, FBI has found actual ties for this guy um, with Drug traffickers throughout um, uh, the region, and it's created such a massive social crisis that it's it's what's fueling this massive migration to the border. Now um, they're coming from Honduras. They're not coming from really Mexico as much anymore. Um, right. And it's 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 where this kind of sort of liberal line of like, oh, this guy's not perfect. You know, he's not. You know, like you could point to like anything Zelaya did at the time, and 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 it's like, yeah, you can find something that wasn't like. in in some ideal like American Civil Liberties Union um, uh, scorecard. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it justifies a military coup because these things have actual real world consequences or look at what's happening in bolivia you saw all these liberals being like you know eva morales yeah okay um you know uh i don't know i don't know about a coup but like he's not a great guy um yeah he sure
0: seems like pretty brown i don't know how could somebody brown be in charge that long um
1: and you know he did violate the term limits thing oh by the way bloomberg did that too but we're not gonna we're gonna talk about we're not gonna talk about that but um
0: no 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 that's not fair bloomberg (laughs) had like you know he paid a billion bucks for that that's okay it's okay if you pay for it
1: yeah and then you know he gets deposed in a military coup and now there's this sort of like christian fascist running uh bolivia who has no democratic mandate whatsoever um and is you know working to basically make the uh party illegal um and yeah and we're just kind of standing by and not not doing anything about it because because we take these lines that are like instead of just looking at the obvious things that are right before our eyes and seeing like this kind of stuff is bad. We have to take these sort of nuanced views and we have to condemn all the bad things these people do before we then decide what we do about it. You know, instead of just like taking responsibility for our own actions, right? Like I more or less take the take the Chomsky in line of like, you know, if we're American citizens and we're doing a show in America and we vote in America and we like then. Our real responsibility is to take responsibility for our own actions, the actions that our government does in foreign affairs. Like yes, we can like express solidarity and stuff with oppressed people around the world, and like that's fine, that's good, and that's necessary. But like this, this desire to condemn all the bad things that happen in the world. It's like yes, we can get blue in the face talking about um, the crimes of Vladimir Putin uh, in, in Russia. It's like yes, but w- w- what effect does that have? Are the fact that we have is, for example, the support that our government has for for example, the government in Saudi Arabia, right? You know, like, because we are actively aiding and abetting these massive crimes in Saudi Arabia and around the world that is perpetrated by the government of Saudi Arabia. You know, that's something that we can take responsibility for. We have some sort of measurable effect. Yes, we can talk about the bad things that some other, you know, bad person that uh, is an official US enemy, but we have no effect on those people. Yeah, this is, you know, this is the shit that... um glenn greenwald has to deal with all the uh, a lot not so much anymore but in
0: the past where he uh always would get the question i remember he would always talk about people constantly asking him like why don't you talk about or report on or do these you know data dump exposes on russia and his very simple answer was i'm not russian i'm not from there i don't have any sphere of influence there i wasn't educated there i don't know shit about that place he he, hit me saying like um you know, from his perspective, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I report on the United States. I report on Brazil. Those are the two places where I have lived and that I have some purchase in. and like fucking Russia is not one of them. And it kind of, it kind of, it's a similar dynamic, right? Like we are always told, shut the fuck up. You don't actually know about Cuba. You don't actually know about, you know, what's going on in Bolivia. You don't actually know about anything in Venezuela. And I'm like, yeah, but okay. I know what's happening in the United States and i can speak about what my country's doing i'm you know we're perfectly qualified to talk about what our country is doing
1: yeah and and what our country is doing in 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 with regards to cuba is uh, imposing a decades long economic embargo which is a, a very like we 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 talk about economic sanctions as there are these kind of like things that you can do when you don't want to do actual war violence, right? You know, like you don't want to send bombs and you don't want to send troops. But you still want to cause
0: misery. You still want to cause cause misery. misery.
1: Yeah, you want to cause death. You want to cause hunger. You want to cause suffering. But they don't sound that bad. It's like we're not actually like pulling the trigger, right? You know, like so it makes us feel better about ourselves. But economic sanctions are a vicious act of war. I mean, you see like what's happening in Iran. You see what's happening in Venezuela. Like all these, like if if any of these people actually cared about the legitimate suffering of Venezuelan people, which I care about, then the first thing that we could do is lift the economic sanctions, right? <laughs> like, that's the first thing that we could do. Like, we could do that tomorrow, and it would Im- cause an immeasurable uh, improvement in the quality of life of the average Venezuelan. Um, and we could do the same thing. We could have done the same thing in Cuba when the economic embargo was crushing them at, the, at when they were at their lowest, right? We, instead of, like, helping them and alleviating their suffering and, you know, uh, Allowing their economy to grow and providing aid and all these things, like we could do any of those things to help the suffering of the Cuban people, um, but we did none of that. We actually just put our thumb down even even harder uh, and and caused them to suffer more. So it, it's always couched in these like sort of concerns over regular people, but it's never true. It's 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 because we don't like the guy at the top. We don't like the guy who's running things. So everything else goes out the window.
0: Well, it feels it always feels like um, if you were to. If you were to do that, if you were to alleviate some of these sanctions and allow some of these economies to prosper, a lot of them that are, like, very natural resource rich, it would undermine this messaging that the U.S. has had for a long time about communism, socialism, leftism, which is, like, I think a lot of Americans think that chapter two of the Communist Manifesto is, like, you have to salt The earth and the land so that nothing grows because everybody is always like, oh, well, you know, socialism, you're going to stop growing food and everybody's going to start starving. Motherfucker. Why do you think they're starving? It's not like they magically forgot how to farm and threw away all the food. It's not like some mystical thing that happened. It's the fact that they were frozen out of the global economy, whether you're talking about Venezuela, USSR, you know, uh, Cuba in the latter stages, they were frozen out of a lot of economic opportunity and the global economy and and it didn't happen by accident and by the
1: way like none of the capitalist countries get allowed to uh be on that ledger as well like i mean the poorest country in the western hemisphere by far is haiti you know haiti's nominally a capitalist country you know it's actually like a sort of pseudo u.s colony um but that their their suffering is just that's just that's just because I don't know it. Why well, I don't know why why is Haiti Clinton's, so poor? Because of the I, yeah
0: something to do with uh, Clinton's. I, I know that I know that. It, uh, wait, let me dust off my Republican talking points. It was like <laughs> I don't know. Bill stole all the grains or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to go back to 2016 to remind myself. Like what you ever hear the story about? Like the cab driver that was. Oh no, he was an Uber driver that was killed out here, Um, or I think he committed suicide and. uh, I don't know who it was it was like either breitbart or like town hall or something they found some documentation that suggested that he was uh, just days away from blowing the lid off of the entire clinton crime <laughs> family <laughs> in like the southern, district, the southern district of florida court uh like he was apparently supposed to testify about he, he was a former minister in, in in haiti and he was you know driving uber here in miami and uh yeah i don't know it's just it's one of those things like miami always is inside of one of these fucking stories like you can never get the Mi- miami is always at the
1: center of all this shit oh yeah absolutely i mean i never heard that story but it, it makes me think like if the, if the right had like a, a their own version of hollywood like they should make that movie that'd be amazing you yeah. know like yeah so yeah and then yeah. uh they could cast john krasinski
0: as the haitian guy exactly
1: oh. <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> uh,
0: But speaking of that though like one that always just makes my fucking brain boil is whenever I read anything from the, like speaking of like, you know, rehabilitated right wing bullshit artists is, um, Anna Navarro. Whenever I read anything from her and, uh, she was coming out in full force yesterday on this topic, uh, leveraging her, uh, you know, her experience or her expertise as like the Latin America whisperer and no, the one, the one person who knows anything about all of Latin America, and I, I just kind of wish that, like, Bill Maher or any of the people that constantly give her a platform would just come out and ask her, like, hey, you've bragged about your dad being in the Contras and, like, part of these fucking paramilitary, like, putting infants' heads on fucking spikes. Like, it, it's crazy the way that you were talking before about how this shit, the pendulum only swings one way. We never talk about the, in, in any of the other
1: directions. And the thing about the Contras is that, like, it's become mainstream to realize that they were just this awful, bloody death squad that had no legitimate a uh, popular social base in Nicaragua. I mean, it's like, you know, Tom Cruise made a movie called American Made and Tom Cruise is not a controversial dude. He would never wade into um, a controversial subject if it wasn't like completely accepted at this point, uh, you know, and he was the star of this movie that showed the contrast to be like this yeah. absolute sham. The yeah. Um, so it's not like, it's not exactly like, um, a radical position to take. I mean, the, even at the time, though, the, like we we realized that the Contras were um, seen by like mainstream Democrats as uh, as a death squad. I mean, that's what the whole Iran Contra thing happened because the Democratic Congress um, prevented the Reagan administration from funding the Contras. I mean, that was that was their workaround was the Iran Contra scheme. So even at the time, it was seen uh, by like mainstream liberals as as like this awful thing, right? Um, so. The fact that like she can get up there and just openly praise <laughs> the Contras in 2020 is absolutely shocking. Um, and not just that, but she's like, she's one of these like awfully annoying, never Trump Republicans who wants to give Democrats lessons about how to like win elections. And it's like, first of all, you lost an election if, in, with your, in, in your side of the, the camp. Like, why would we? Yeah, wasn't she aligned with like.
0: Jeb Bush or something like that? Of course she was. I forget. Was it Jeb Marco Bush, Ruby or the, Jeb the Bush? Biggest, like, I think she was aligned with Jeb Bush. Yeah, yeah. she
1: was. It, the, the most the biggest joke of a presidential campaign I've seen basically in my entire life. I mean, the amount of money that was spent to get like three votes uh, total was just absolutely pathetic. Um, and so like, she's out here giving lessons on how to win elections for Democrats when obviously she doesn't want any actual Democrat to it. She just wants the Democrats to rebrand as the old Republican Party. I I'm mean, sorry, like
0: Governor Bush. I still see him at Publix like every other week at, over on Lejeune. I mean,
1: like I still see him there all the time. Sorry. I don't know if you're a listener or not, but you know. I'm sure he is. He's a friend of the show. I, I'm sure Jeb Bush is like, he's so defeated that he's going to join DSA. He's going to go like full. He's going to go full like the old, the old divorce guy that that shows up.
0: Exactly. At DSA meetings. Yeah, Yeah. I just think that like I look at this thing and it's totality and it's almost, you know, Miami and or Latin America are a land of contradiction. You know, it's like this old saw, this old bullshit line that people say. But I know that if like Bernie loses Florida, for instance, they're going to blame this comment. They're going to blame this controversy. They're going to skirt past all these other really big, important issues. Like the fact that all these fucking hot dog neck, Midwesterners and upstate New Yorkers, keep moving into the villages and all these other hellscapes. (laughs) Uh, And there's Puerto Ricans, like my family, who are disaffected, politically disengaged who are moving. They're not being engaged by like the the Florida Democratic State Party. The fact that, you know, Venezuelans could swing one way or another, depending on their point of origin, how they got here. Mm -hmm. But there are all these reasons. Also, you know, our state party is fucking trash. It's garbage, the worst at turning out the vote. We put people in charge of our county elections. They're like or incompetent. We run,
1: when we run Republicans like Charlie Crist,
0: yeah. When well, we run Republicans like Charlie Crist, like,
1: well, only Democrats only Democrats could do that. <laughs> We're a Republican. As a Democrat, be like, oh, that'll that'll do it. But it'll just always <laughs> it'll be
0: always be the oh the you know the Miami Cubans, that sort of group of five hundred people that are left. The thirty of them that are still ambulatory, hanging out outside Versailles. <laughs> The, that'll be the reason that, you know, Bernie or anybody on the left who might have a stink of progressivism on him would lose. And there's so many other reasons that are way more important.
1: And what do you think? You think Bloomberg takes the, the Florida primary?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think so? I think so. Like, I mean, just be, it sucks, man. I don't want to like, I don't want to spread that negative energy on my own show, but like, just I also, <laughs> I also have this journalistic thing inside me where I also I don't want to just like lie or be Pollyanna ish. Like, it, the, there's heavy. Heavy West Palm Beach and Broward County Bloomberg energy. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. bad energy, I, really bad. You can feel it on the 95. Like it gets under your skin and you just want to get to the <laughs> You want to get to the county line. And then a lot of people in Miami just are sort of like nominally aware of him and yeah. think that, oh, that's that's a guy that I know of. I should I should go to
1: I mean, I, I, I do wonder, though, if Bloomberg falls flat on Super Tuesday, which is possible, you know, like it's possible that his that his polling is kind of hollow the way uh, Biden's was for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that he falls flat on Super Tuesday. And if he if he does, I mean, I wonder what would happen then in Florida, because um, people that would be people, two,
0: two weeks later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People do like to vote for the winner you know like they don't like to vote for the loser like that's just that's a very ironclad root of political science so that's why that's why iowa and new hampshire are so important right because it, it really sets the tone for the rest of the race in the sense that like oh people think like oh that guy won i'm just gonna vote for that guy you know um so i do wonder um and in the general do you think you think bernie loses florida in the general to trump uh no i actually think bernie can win i think
0: bernie can i was having a
1: conversation with somebody really about
0: yeah, I think Bernie can be can can be, now, um,
1: now, I'm getting excited. Now, okay. um, my ears are perking up. Explain your explain your, your explain explain how Bernie wins Florida. I, I would love to hear it.
0: Okay, in a well-administered election, where the uh, and in a well-run campaign, where the state party, the state Democratic Party, which I contend to this day is the biggest villain in progressive politics or the progressive cause in, in Florida. And and nationally. And yeah. Oh yeah. And on a national, yeah. They're like a really great avatar for, well, the national party is a great avatar for what the state party in Florida is like Terry Rizzo and the leadership of the, of the the, the state democratic party here. um, If they are not the primary uh, managers or the primary get out the vote uh, administrators of a, people-led campaign, a campaign that looks at the sort of establishment parties around from state to state to state and says, yeah, it's great that you're part of what we're doing, but we've got this. If there's independent apparatus, which right Mm. now there's only one campaign that has a strong outside of the mainstream, outside of the establishment, independent apparatus getting out the vote, if that kind of campaign were to run in Florida, I think that if that person were look at look at it this way imagine that i took cgi to Mm -hmm. campaign rallies in 2008 for barack obama and campaign campaign rallies and right now for for bernie i use cgi to take out the candidate's name off of all the literature and the signs and placards and i took the candidate himself out of the picture and all you saw was the energy and the vibe and the actual mm. contour of the campaign the people in the it audience feels like that right like what other candidate what other what other democrat is out there that's that's drumming that up there isn't one i think that yeah. you get sort of a technocratic uh you know person who like a, 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 or like a bloomberg somebody who mm-hmm. you know is able to manipulate a uh um, you know, a second vote to force a, 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 brokered, a, a brokered convention and make a bank shot to actually get the nomination. And it's not going to be, there's never going to be energy behind Bloomberg the way that there was
1: behind no. Obama
0: and that there is behind Bernie Sanders right
1: now. I think, well, I mean, I think, I think it's not just there's not, there's not going to be energy. I think there's going to be an actual rupture in the party if that happens.
0: For sure. I've said it myself. I wrote the, I don't know if, oh, this is the first episode since I wrote that. But yeah, I had an article that, that they put out on, um, floridapolitics.com where i said that i i myself and i can only speak for myself and my little puny ass podcast with a few thousand listeners i can only speak for myself but i'm not going to vote for a michael Boomer, particularly not after a uh, you know after a broker convention where where it was stolen because yeah. at that point
1: it's broken everything is broken what's the fucking point this this podcast is like is like the velvet underground you know it's only a few <laughs> thousand listeners but every one of them went and started their own Left-wing Miami-based politics podcast. I hope.
0: If you're out there,
1: <laughs> come on the show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, that's encur- that's encouraging. I, I, I'm, you know, you have your finger on the pulse down there better than I do these days uh, because I, I've been gone for a while. So that's encouraging. Um, you know, I, I do talk to some people in my family who've been canvassing for Bernie in Florida, and they do. They do, you know, they still confront a lot of the, you know, he loves Maduro, uh, you know, he loves him, uh, you know, which is obviously like untrue. He's it, never, I don't think, as far as I know, Bernie's never spoken that, I mean, has he said anything about Maduro ever? I think he was asked about it once and, um, and, uh. So you still confront a lot of that. But I I wonder if there's like, um, like the way Jesse Jackson talked about just sacks of potatoes lying around, you know, like people that are gettable that you don't think are obvious. I mean, that's what I always tell people. It's like, I mean, I I had, you know, some friends of mine who like Bernie and some friends, you know, some family members of mine, like really disheartened by these comments that he made about Castro, because they're like, well, now it's gonna make it really hard for us, you know, to to canvas and stuff like that. He should have said something else. And I'm like, first of all, I, I'd like to hear what the perfect answer is for for that. there there isn't one that would appease these people. They're like unappeasable in that sense. You know, like they, I think if there anyone who's mad about Bernie's Castro comments um probably weren't gettable in the first place. And you have to think kind of outside the box and find people that, are gettable that aren't obvious right um people that are depoliticized i mean that they always talk about that and and it is kind of like a a white whale of politics to to sort of get those non-voters who are just completely alienated from politics for understandable reasons um but really that is the challenge is like can you can you pick those people up can you can you build a coalition with those people because you know the the people who are saying like you know what i was planning on voting vote uh, voting democrat um in november but i cannot vote for bernie sanders after what he said about castro it's like well then you know i'm sorry but you were
0: probably yeah, gonna vote for Trump you're anyway. or or, or another, my other theory of florida which is like uh, in in a democratic primary if florida likes you in a democratic primary you're probably bad if you like if you're looking at your, <laughs> you think so like yeah i mean like the thing is like if you're leading in a democratic primary You got to think about what it is that you're what it is that you're espousing, because it should be like a a negative indicator. It should be like, wow, we're winning. We're winning Florida. Are we do we have like a secret plank in our uh, platform about? I don't know, like, uh, you know, liquefying human beings or something like that that I don't know about. Because if if you're (laughs) winning in Florida, you're doing something wrong. There's something bankrupt and dark at the soul of the florida democrat right and it's I, I i don't know it's just on net like it's bad but then the general election is a whole other thing i, I mean a whole other I, I feel like it's funny that you brought that up too because this idea of sort of like caving right if of all those mm. people that you there were two people that you just mentioned There was the people that were like more sort of like concern trolling like i really wish he hadn't Mm. said that it's going to make it harder and to them i would Mm. just say like well if you know don't worry about it you just support him then that's what you're worried about yeah then you know you know just don't worry about it and just support him and then that part of the problem will take care of itself but then the other people that you said who yeah i agree with you like we were never going to get them there is let me put it this way there's this idea of caving right I love Bernie and one of the reasons that I love him is because I think he has this really unique political talent and and he's had to develop that because he's a socialist Mm. and then he became a democratic socialist he was an independent he was somebody who had no support um, no establishment help no mainstream Mm. help he has these great instincts and you're rarely ever going to trick him into like rhetorical mistakes but people think he flubbed that interview and I don't think he did because there was nothing that he could have done or said, uh, short of like renouncing his entire political project and right. registering on the uh, right there in front of Anderson Cooper, registering as a Republican. Apart from that, nobody was going to give him a break. Those uh, amongst right. that group that you talked about, and nothing would have been good enough for Miami Cubans. They're so okay, you know, like
1: here. Here's a counter. Here's a counter scenario, right? Anderson Cooper brings up the video of Bernie talking about cash for 1980 and says, "Like, what do you think about that now, or whatever?" And then Bernie mm-hmm. goes, um, "He does like what they what the concern trolls say he should have done, right. which is like, um, I I disavow those statements. Uh, I I I regret uh, my opinions. Many things have changed since then. I have changed and blah blah blah." blah. I was very hungry and, at the time. Uh, uh, I needed yeah, exactly. a nosh, and oh. I had
0: lo- low blo- low blood sugar.
1: All right, and so then, uh, and then they'll be like, "Well, okay, so then, what does that say about your judgment?" You know, exactly. like, "Oh, you're just changing." Um, and all and of all a sudden, of that sudden, ben ben rock, rock thing, thing that, that, that
0: everybody, everybody loves, loves about him, about
1: everyone loves about him, is that he was that he was on the right side of history all the time for the last forty years. And, and That he doesn't do things because, because
0: they're politically expedient and right. and helpful, and because a small block of people will give him a little bit of credit for it, because he's not Hillary Clinton. Right. That like that's the thing that people love about him and what those people are saying is that he should have in that moment you're right 100% right that in that moment he should have been hillary clinton right. a chameleon who stands for nothing
1: right and 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 what what i think we've learned um a lot in the, the of, as a political reality in the last 4 years call it the trump era or call it even like in the post um sort of internet era where like every little comment is just you know can be used against you in any sort of way, is that you have to power through. You just have to power right. through it. You can't, you can't give an inch. You can't apologize, whether we like that or not, as like a, as like a moral thing to do. Um, you can't give an inch to these people because the attacks fundamentally come in ba- from that ba- in bad faith. Right. And when an attack comes in bad faith. And nothing you say will satisfy them. So just put your head down and power through it. It's going to be a one or two day story and then you can get past it. But like what killed the Corbyn campaign in the UK, or at least sapped a lot of its energy, was the fact that they kind of gave in to this anti-Semitism smear, right? Where it was a total – it was total – Totally in bad faith. Like there was nothing in Corbyn's life to suggest that he was ever has ever been an anti-Semite, right? But they they did this a similar thing to with the Bernie Bros, in which like well, there's members of the Labour Party, an organization with millions of people in it, who might possibly be anti-Semites, which is of course of course a standard that no other political campaign can meet. Um, right. Once, and then that becomes that
0: labor has an anti-Semitism exactly. problem. So
1: once he goes, well, okay, we're going to try to address the, this issue. It's like, then you've already conceded the point. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, that, that that's what sticks in people's minds, you know? So you, you just, Bernie can't give an inch. Like, I mean, he, and that's, and like you said, that's a, that's a political kind of superpower that he has, um, that he, he knows how to, he, he knows how to just, power through these things in a way that no other politician in my lifetime has ever done other than maybe Trump, you know, which Trump understands this intrinsically, that he can just power through it. And as long as he sort of remains true to himself, right? I mean, this is like, this is one thing that um, was very frustrating covering the 2016 campaign when I was, is that people focused on statements, and they tallied up sort of you know, all the lies that Trump said. And of course, they're heinous lies. And he says lies all the time. Yeah,
0: thank God that worked and uh, kept him out of the White House.
1: Well, exactly. But the reason why it didn't, though, is because in a weird way, Trump is very true to himself. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, yeah. And and, and that reason. He has voters.
0: a true north. He has his own true north. Right. It's inscrutable to the rest of us. Right. But if you follow it... Over the long arc of you know him being in public public life, you're right. He's always stayed Whereas on that path. Hillary
1: Clinton might not say as many outright whoppers as Trump, but when Hillary Clinton says something that I'm going to put working families first, you can't call that a lie. Like if you're a political fact checker or journalist, you can't call that a lie. But it it is a lie. It's a it's a fundamental lie. Like that's not who she is. You know, she's not being true to herself when she says that statement. She doesn't give a shit about working families, right? She really doesn't so when she says something like that it, it reads as fraudulent to most people right now um, it doesn't matter what the actual words that came out of her mouth are you know and i think that that's something that people like about bernie which is why bernie bernie despite being more on the radical left than any sort of mainstream politician in america in the last 50 years is he does well with quote unquote independent voters you know like uh because People,
0: because of that, exactly, yeah. it's
1: that authenticity and that, that this idea that he's true to himself, whereas most people assume politicians are turncoat, um, corrupt people who will say anything to get elected. That's like that's the baseline assumption people have of politicians. That's why people hate all politicians. But when one comes around who kind of remains true to himself despite the adversity facing him, then people kind of respect that on some fundamental level. Which is why, like, if Ber- had Bernie backtracked on the Castro thing and just been like, oh, actually, I think Castro, uh, Castro was a monstrous, brutal dictator um, who, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Um, we should have, the CIA should have put the the little stick of dynamite in his cigar and blown his head off. Um, you know, like, <laughs> then people would have been like, would have read that as fraudulent. Like, no one would believe Bernie actually believes that. So it's better to just remain true to yourself, take the punches as they come and and power through it.
0: There's nobody out there who's raising this issue about his, his medical records, who actually gives a fuck about his health.
1: A hundred percent.
0: There's nobody out there raising the issue of like you know, his lake house who actually gives a shit about their president oh. having multiple houses.
1: I saw I saw I, a mean, rid- I saw a ridiculous statistic that I, I I just need to tell someone because I haven't but do you know how much it costs to maintain Mike Bloomberg's fish tanks every week? Jesus Christ. Um all right. Just the maintenance on the fish tanks per
0: week. All right. Let's do over under. You tell me if I'm if I'm if I'm too too low too high. I'm gonna go with uh, ten thousand ten thousand dollars a week.
1: Too high? Higher. No no. You gotta go higher. Twenty five thousand dollars a week. Keep going. Fifty. Keep going. Uh, all right. Let me just jump like uh, a hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. Sixty four thousand dollars a week just to That's maintain. Right. The fish tanks, this man has, okay? You know, like, that. this is what, like, these comments about Bernie's wealth in the lake house, I mean, just the maintenance of Mike Bloomberg's fish tanks every year is more than all of Bernie's wealth, <laughs> pretty much. You know, like, the, the this idea that, that Bernie, like, the whole Jason Johnson thing that Bernie's an oligarch, you know, Matt Brunig, who is, you know, the greatest number cruncher we have on the left, uh, actually crunched the numbers and realized that Bernie's net worth is actually below average for a white man um over 65 with a college degree
0: yeah i mean of course if you're in that age bracket and you've been nominally responsible with your money and gone out and participated in capitalism over you know any period of time especially that period of time you probably have a net worth at or above that rate
1: yeah, you came of age in a time yeah, when there were education been, you know, costs. You know, working in the seventies yeah, and eighties and '90s. Education costs weren't what they are. You didn't you didn't go into like hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt. You you didn't have, you know, you probably had a decent health care from an employer. You probably had a pension, you know, all these things like that don't exist anymore. Um, if you were if you're of a certain generation, you know, you're gonna have a decent chunk of change, especially if you got like, you know, some low income, uh, low interest loan to get a house. Um all these things. So like, it, it's just it, no one, you're right. None of these people actually care about any of this stuff. Um, you know, like to, to, compare, you know, Bernie's wealth and, you know, put him on the same plane as someone like Mike Bloomberg. It's just like absolutely insane.
0: I would say that like the one caution that I have and the one red flag was actually last night at his town hall. And I don't mind it so much because it's, it was kind of an own and he, he owned Chris Cuomo and CNN when he, when he did it. But when he handed over the, how are you going to pay for Mm, a document to Chris Cuomo that I feel like you're, you're sort of acquiescing to their, their terms of their bad faith argument, but I give him a pass because that was a good moment. It was made for TV. He was sort of able to own CNN in that moment and all of his critics. And that's great. That's fine. I would just, I would caution like if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're with Bernie's campaign, and I, I know that there's a couple of you out there, uh, Don't do too much of that shit. Yeah. Don't let them dictate the argument. Don't let them be the ones, you know, I would say, fuck you. If you don't get it, that would be my response, (laughs) but it was still a good one.
1: Yeah, I mean, this whole how will you pay for a thing is just absolutely mind numbing, right? I mean, it's just it 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 just only gets used for social programs that help the poor. It never gets used for anything else. You know, it, it never gets used for a tax cut. It never gets used for um, it never gets used for military spending. Um, it's just it's absolutely maddening. And it's not like, you know, this this analogy that journalists and politicians always use about, um, you know, how you're going to pay for something as if you were like a family You know, the government isn't a family. It's just like you're not comparing the same thing. It's like apples and oranges. They they don't have anything, you know, they don't have anything to do. Like a government that can issue its own currency. And, you know, it's just it's like too too complicated to even get into it. But it's like just an absurd. It's an absurd comparison that makes no sense. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it play out, you know, in the Bush administration. Like, you know,
0: Senator Sanders, you're going to be in charge of the largest economy in the history of the world that prints its own money. How do you plan to pay for all these programs that you're proposing?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I mean, come on. It's bullshit. Anybody out there who sort of thinks that way, Uh, like, oh, the national budget is similar to my household budget, do a little bit of research. Honestly, the only thing that I actually like Donald Trump over is the fact that he uh, completely disregarded the national debt. And yeah. if if you were to just look at what he's doing in a bottle, you would assume that he's an adherent to uh, you know new monetary policy.
1: Which right, he's not.
0: He's just a you know a venal idiot. Just, but yeah. like
1: whatever. Oh, <laughs> but once once Bernie gets in the White House, the national debt's going to become oh, an oh. urgent crisis. Um, it's going to be so infuriating. I mean, and and like this is what I I always try to tell people. Like with something like Medicare for all, you know, which is the sort of signature Sanders policy, right? That's the that's really the animating policy that that drives a lot of the campaign. When people say something like, well, how is he going to pay for it? It's like, well, you know, Medicare for all isn't this, it wouldn't be like this giant new expenditure. Right. It would be a transfer of existing expenditures and yeah. would actually save money. Right. You know, like, cause we already, the United States already pays more for healthcare than basically any other industrialized nation per capita. You know, Medicare for all would actually get us in line with the spending of, Say France or Spain or the UK um, in terms of uh, per capita spending, it would just it would just mean a different type of expenditure. It's moving money from one pot to another, you know, in a way that actually saves money. It's not this giant new thing. It's not like buying a Ferrari when you don't have any money. Yeah. you know, it's not like it, that's not how that works. I would it's, say like- it's so infuriating when you see journalists make that make that like a certain. Uh, concern for the for for medicare for all i would say like the biggest success of our healthcare system of our healthcare
0: industry here in this country is getting a country full of people a nation full of people who presumably passed algebra 1 at one point to just <laughs> shut off their brain it, it, for this one mathematical equation where it's like okay well right. we have a system over here where there's a whole bunch of people making huge profits you know, executives bringing home, you know, seven figure, eight figure salaries, and then another system over here where that doesn't happen as much. And yeah. which one do you think is going to cost you more? And for <laughs> some reason, like, right. you can't get it through a lot of people's heads. Like, fuck, uh, right. I don't
1: know. It seems scary, you know? <laughs>
0: I don't, I, it's right.
1: It's- yeah. Well, and, the, you know, the real scary part is, and this is a story that just came out of Miami. I don't know if you saw it the, about the kid who went to China. And got back from China oh, yeah. with like flu-like symptoms and went, you know, did the right thing and went to go get tested for coronavirus. Yeah, and then it turns out he tested negative. But, of course, because he went to the hospital to get tested for coronavirus, they're going to charge him like thousands of dollars that he doesn't have because he's got shitty health insurance, which is, again, a huge uh, threat to the global system of this pandemic, like Medicare, like the, the United States' monstrous healthcare system, is a huge threat to global health safety. Because if people don't want to get tested for coronavirus because they can't afford the freaking test, then they're not going to get tested, and it's going to spread. So, like, it's 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 infuriating to see. You know, the the concern trolling for, you know, the cost instead of like the actual outcomes, the health outcomes in people's lives.
0: If you read about and it's funny you bring that up because like if you read about what the symptoms of coronavirus are, not to like turn this into a fucking coronavirus podcast. But yeah, if you read about if you read about what the symptoms are, they're exactly the kind of things that that we Americans in our fucked up health system do a fucked up kind of calculus on every day. Like, oh, am I sick enough? Do I need to go? I mean, like, should I bother to go? I don't know. Maybe I'll just get over it. And those are exactly the like usually flu, common cold, the things that we just are, mm. you know, inured I'll power through mind. them. Yeah, we're the, walk- power we're the walking wounded yeah. now. At this point, we're just like, is 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 something hanging off? Am I like literally
1: shitting out of my Rats. ass? Like, and if yeah. I'm not, then like, I I always off. shit out of my ass. I don't know where you shit out. of oh, Wait, hey, Hang
0: but, uh, on a second. Is it true? <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I get a cosign? You guys, you guys, shut out of your asses!
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the it's, fuck have I been doing with thing. my? Like, what have like I been the doing my doing. elbow
0: the, this whole time? <laughs> um, so tonight's the debate. What do you think as we uh, sort of uh, start to, um, start to wrap up a little bit? What do you think is going to happen well, tonight?
1: I I I suspect they're going to attack Bernie. No, mean, wait, hang on, the... hang on.
0: Weren't you in Colorado, Colorado recently?
1: I was. I was this weekend. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm I'm tracking like a little bit of your patterns here, and I think. Yeah. Like, uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of Bloomberg offices that were vandalized throughout mm. the whole time. That you, throughout a lot of your. Can you, can you account for your whereabouts on the nights when all these Bloomberg offices were vandalized? No,
1: I'm like, I'm like George. I'm like. I'm like George H.W. Bush, who was a secret CIA agent when Kennedy was assassinated, and couldn't account for his whereabouts the night Kennedy was assassinated. Um, uh, I but, fucking uh, knew it. Yeah, no, I, I think that there. I think that like if the if the last debate was basically all guns trained on Bloomberg, I think that in this one it's probably going to be all guns trained on Bernie, and it'll be interesting to see how Elizabeth Warren does because she. I think she did. She scored a decent amount of points, but mostly. She helped stop the Bloomberg juggernaut in its tracks a little bit, um, and by attacking him directly and head on right to his face. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether she does that to Bernie now that he seems like the inevitable frontrunner. Um, but I suspect that you know Pete Biden, all these guys are going to train their guns on Bernie because I think they realize that if they don't stop him somehow, that it's it's already probably a foregone conclusion that they're that they have no path to nomination. Um, So I, that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm dreading is just to see all of them go after Bernie. Um, you know, so, and again, you know, it might, you know, the people, we who cover these things like very closely and look at them sort of obsessively all day, maybe what we don't realize is that to most people seeing all these people attack Bernie like that, and then seeing him defend himself ably actually makes him look better because these people fundamentally hate the democrats and hate all these people uh on some deep level so to see them turning on bernie like that actually might even make them stronger so um yeah that's that's what i'll be looking for and i and and i'll be watching especially to see what elizabeth warren does
0: (laughs) i mean i think you're right and uh i think that like if anything what what gives me hope is that we talked about this already that like earlier in the show he's better at politics than they are yeah He's just better at this than they are, and it's it's really kind of, you know, a, a Tony Jaw movie where like five yeah. guys run at Tony Jaw and he flips them around and tosses them around and you know in a different direction. His character is just better at doing okay. that than the people that are yeah. attacking him, and so that's the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope. L- um, last thing yeah. you brought up, Pete. No. Have you seen the Obama yeah. voice tweet?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pathetic. I mean, listen, I I, I think, I, I genuinely think Obama was a, a unique, a unique political figure that um, kind of defied a lot of, um, a lot of the sort of ironclad rules of politics, and that you can't really imitate it, you know, so uh, I think people see, I think ultimately people see right through Pete you know like the more the more exposure he's going to get people are going to see like how big of a fraud he is well it was you know and it's 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 not funny i don't want to
0: say funny it's it's actually really really tragic and sad but like um i was reminded of uh uh you know the first year well i was reminded of kobe bryant generally because he's sort of been in the in the atmosphere the last few weeks obviously since his his death and um his funeral was yesterday i think it was yesterday yeah it was yesterday And and um one of the, one of my like lasting memories of him is when he came into the league. He had this thing where he was just very sort of transparently trying to be Michael Jordan, right? Like his mm, like a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the, the 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 edges of his game, even you know mm. the the, um, uh, the arm pulled up on the wrist and the way that he laced up mm. and a lot like if you were a, you know basketball person like I was, like you could see and be like, oh, this kid's trying to be Michael Jordan, and you know he came kind of close. He had an incredible career. Um, way better than I think Pete Buttigieg's career is going to go in in <laughs> politics but it reminds, it reminds me of that. that this weird like hero worship that manifests as um, I don't know as as uh, imitation it's, it's, it's a weird thing to see you know?
1: yeah I mean the, the fundamental difference about Obama and Pete is that um, and this is like the the defining thing about politics across the democracies in the west and and since the 2008 financial crisis which is that people want change and obama for whatever reason read as a change candidate whereas pete reads as a status quo candidate i mean that's just the reality even though obama ended up being a status quo president like don't get me wrong he ran a, 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 a campaign that was an explicitly um radical change campaign i mean that's that's there's no other way that to to describe it um and if you look at the the political successes of the last few cycles, the change candidate typically wins, whereas the status quo candidate falls on his face. Um, Trump, for better or worse, represented change, um, and that's what people went for, Um, whereas Hillary Clinton represented the status quo. Pete, I don't think anyone looks at Pete and says, that guy seems like fundamental change. You know, they state the people who are supporting Pete are the guys who, are the people who are like, oh, this all all this stuff is really scary. Let me just put it in this in this guy who sounds smart's hands, you know, so. Yeah. So,
0: Nando, tell us where people can find out more about you.
1: Mostly on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Nando Arvila. That's the best way to keep up with my goings on. You can see me. I'll, I'll, I'm will i going to vandalize the next Bloomberg office I, I come across and you can I'll stream it live on Twitter so you can check it out. All
0: right. All right. Yeah. Nando Vila. Thanks for coming on Bird Road. All right, take it easy.